Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Airs International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona. Clean in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let's make bricks and bake them until they're hard. So they used bricks for stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower whose top reaches into heaven. So let's make a name for ourselves, or else we will be scattered over the face of the whole land. Then Adonai came down to, the, to see the city and the tower that the sons of man had built. Adonai said, Look, the people are one, and all of them have the same language. So this is what they have begun to do. Now nothing they plan to do will be impossible. I want you guys to remember that part. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand each other's language. So Adonai scattered them from there over the face of the entire land, and they stopped building the city. This is why it was named Babel, because Adonai confused the languages of the entire world there. And from there, Adonai scattered them over the face of the entire world. Then the rest of this Torah portion goes to talk about um, genealogy from Shem to Abraham. Um, here you go. So one of the things about this Torah portion that we've all heard the, the story of Babel, Tower of Babel teaching. Um, and typically it has to do with the people trying to make a name for themselves, building something high enough that they can reach a heavenly place and kind of be equal with, with God. Um, I think this Torah portion is interesting with respect to how it's reading us and where we're at. Because it's not so much about people making a name for themselves so much as Yahweh recognizing that his people are beginning to be corrupt again, right? If you remember, Noah promised, I will never flood the earth again. However, the evil inclination in their hearts is causing them to be corrupt again and really divorce themselves from him and losing his name. They're not carrying his name anymore. They're trying to make a name for themselves. Um, when, you, when you look at these verses, and this story is so well known, but it's only nine verses in the scripture that talk about it. Um, where they built the Tower of Babel is called Shinar. And that basically means a wide open place. And I think what strikes me about this, um, this Torah portion is, you know, they wanted a wide open place to build this tower to make a name for themselves. Rather than taking on the name of the bridegroom, they wanted to make a name for themselves in a wide open place. And when I think about that, I think about where we've been called to, which is the narrow of narrows. So we are walking in a place that is contradictory to where they built this tower. They didn't look for a place to build this tower. In fact, you can't do it in a narrow place. It has to be a wide open place. So what that says to me is that the reason these people were able to pursue what they were able to pursue is because they were operating in complete foolishness. It's a complete wide open place. And when the scripture says that nothing was impossible for them, it, bas- it doesn't mean they could do anything. It basically means they were operating in a place of no restraint. It had no boundaries. They were in a wide open place, which goes back to the Torah and the Father's instruction 
He has instruction. He restrains us. He confines us. He puts us in a place of walking on the narrow of narrows. And they wanted to find a wide open place where they could have no restraint to their foolishness. So when you think about something like somebody not wanting any boundaries, there is no restraint to their foolishness. That's what it means. There's nothing that would be impossible for them. And when Yahweh came down, he said, let me come down and see what kind of foolishness they're doing down here. Right? They're they're trying to make a name for themselves in their own foolishness. And so when I think about that, I really think about when we're called to be on the narrow of narrows, it really has to do with carrying his name. You can't separate those two things. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. What else did I tell you earlier this morning? Um, I don't remember. Yeah, there's there's a lot to these nine verses, but I think oh, you, you mentioned mm, uh, mm. communication. Yeah, so a lot of how we're taught about this is that they were building to ascend to a certain place, and this is interesting. And I think this this has a lot to do with what Yahweh mean Yahweh may be stirring up in the family is that it wasn't so much they were trying to ascend to a certain place. Essentially what they were doing is we're going to build a structure in and of ourselves. We're going to build it high enough so that Yahweh can come down to where we're at. And yes. And what I saw in that was, um, and this conversation comes up a lot when we talk about clinging and Mm -hmm. not wanting people to just say, Hey, this is where I'm at. After they've gone through whatever process they've gone through, and then they let you into it. That's essentially what these people were doing. That's really good. Mm-hmm. We're not inviting Yahweh into any of this. We're going to build our city out. We're going to build this tower out. And we're going to make a way for him to come into what we're doing once it's all done. Rather than, right, not saying that the, t- the tower itself was a good thing. But rather than pursuing Yahweh and seeing what he would do with your life, they did what they thought was best and then invited the gods into it. So I think that um, that's something for us to really ponder on when we think about clinging and when we think about um, our own processes and what we're doing. Yahweh should be the foundation of it, not whatever we think we should be doing and then invite Yahweh into it afterwards. That's foolishness. Yeah. Like it, it really is foolishness. And when you think about clinging to a spouse even or clinging in the context of covenant in the family, like we should be building from the foundation up together, not just me and my own uh, wisdom doing whatever I think is good and then inviting her into it once it's all said and done. Um, does that make sense? We talk about clinging a lot. What does that mean? And one of the things that... Um, is bothersome in the context of clinging is when somebody says, I want to cling, I want to operate in covenant, and then the next time you hear from them, they've gone through this whole process in and of themselves, and then they just go like, hey, this is look, this is where I'm at. Right? You're not part of the process, which is undermining clinging. And that's essentially a, a dynamic that was happening here. But the other thing that struck me about this is they were looking for a wide open place, which is essentially a loophole. 
right? If you're called to be on the narrow of narrows, there is no wide open space for you to, to do what they were doing. And it's not that anything was possible for them. It's that there is no restraint to foolishness. If somebody wants to operate in a wide open space, nothing will be impossible right. for them in terms of their foolishness, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely not the context of something positive. When he says, and nothing will be impossible. Another way to look at that was kind of an overview is you see, well, I can kind of go back to that. But with that specific scripture where it says, now nothing they plan to do, they plan to do. Mm -hmm. It's not saying all things are possible through Yeshua who strengthens me. (laughs) It's anything that they want to do won't be impossible because... What that's showing is, is they got to a place where they became independent of Yahweh again. There was no dependence on who he was because it was if we, because if you think about it, they broke a huge commandment in this, in this scripture. We just saw with some of the Torah portions that we just read that he said, be fruitful and multiply. Do you guys remember when I released on the Torah portion? He said it three times in the previous Torah portion. Once again, creation has started over after the flood. It's the beginning of creation again, and it's the same commandment, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And then here you have, we're not, we don't want to be scattered. We don't want to fill the earth. So we're not, we're basically not doing what he said. So we're going to stay in one place. It was against be fruitful, multiply, and go, because it even says so that we don't scatter all over the earth. Well, in the previous chapter, he just said, fill the entire earth. So instead of filling the earth and expanding, they went inward and up. But in and of themselves, not in the way that we've seen before, like that they were trying to get higher to him, but they were trying to build for themselves and then say, okay, now Yahweh come here. And I feel his humor comes out in this chapter because even in our abilities to say, look how high we've come, Mm -hmm. he still says, I had to come down. So even in our, here's this huge process, here's this huge thing I've done on my own, it's still to him or to someone that you're submitting to, it feels like, and yet I still have to come down to this high place that you've built because of the perspective that Yahweh has. That's how big he is or how high he is that even in that, does that make sense? Like I almost feel like his mockery of like, let us come down. (laughs) Um, Um, and then just to kind of an overview so you've got chapter 10 which uh which we just went over last week um where we see the the nations so we kind of see like a broad view of what happened after noah and all the nations that are birthed from noah's sons And then once again, we see the story of the Messiah begin to unfold because in this chapter, right after the Tower of Babel, it goes down to one son. So he highlights out of all the sons. Remember I said uh, we just saw how the Arabs were built, the Greeks were built, that sounds weird, but birthed the Greeks and the uh, Israelites. He focuses in on his people. And he focuses, in, he focuses in on the son of Shem and the Israel people because he's pointing out, obviously it ends in this Torah portion with Abram, Abraham. So we're seeing that promise from day one that says that a woman 
is going to bear that seed. And, and, and again, it, it unfolds in the story because at the end, it talks specifically about Sarah, who was barren. So it's showing some kind of, I guess, essentially some suspense positioning of how is his story going to unfold from his original promise. And so we see all that through when you go into verse 10 all the way to verse 32, all of uh, who, who is fathered. Um, there's a couple things that I thought was interesting as I was kind of dissecting this. I want us to remember that Genesis isn't necessarily chronological. So it can look like, for example, Shem is in chapter 10, Tower of Babel happens, and then he goes through and describes the genealogies from Shem. So it's sometimes it's kind of a back and forth. The reason why I say that is because when we get into this next week's Torah portion in chapter 12, it talks about Abram obeying the call. But it doesn't mean that all of that happened and then Abram obeyed the call because he was already birthed. And that's somewhat significant because I want us to, I don't necessarily know why this is significant, but Abram was actually on the earth for 58 years while Noah was still there. So you're seeing generations being birthed and Yahweh picking out people to further his kingdom. And so there's, an, there's, a, there's a call to that obedience. And like I said, I don't necessarily know exactly why that's significant, but I've always had it in my mind. Noah was way over here and Abraham was way over here and they actually overlapped in their years. And so you see that through the uh, genealogies, but sometimes it's hard to pick up on that when the next chapter is Abram, you know, responds to the call, but it's after Noah dies because it ends in the chapter and these are the days of his grandfather. Mm-hmm. But so then it just seems like, okay, and then the yeah. next thing is Abraham, yeah. but essentially there's some, there's some overlap there. Um, there is, I, 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 <laughs> Um, I want to talk about language because I think that this is going to be significant for our family, but I don't know how far I want to get into it, but I feel like I just want to like throw some stuff out there. So we begin to see in this chapter, some Hebraic poetry that is not expressed in English. Uh, so just, just some really deep things to understand how beautiful this language is. Um, when, when these people say, uh, in English it says, um, oh, how does it say it? Come, let's make bricks and bake them until they're hard. In Hebrew, it's kind of like, um, like a repetitive, like a very dumbed down language. It's a repetitive, it, it, it's like saying brick, brick. Anyways, in the Hebrew, it's only like three letters. The reason why I say that is because when Yahweh says, now come, let us come down and confuse them. In the Hebrew, what you see is there's three letters that are like this. When the people said, we're going to build, we'll just say that we're going to build. He comes in and says, we're going to confuse. All he did was take the three letters and flip them. So what, what actually happened is I'm going to take what they're doing and I'm going to, I'm going to flip it backwards. So in the Hebrew, but you, you don't see that in the English, but in the Hebrew, the actual flipping of we're going to build with bricks in English is I'm going to confuse. But 
but the ling that doesn't really portray itself because it's not actually brick backwards. So you don't necessarily pick up on that. But but in the Hebrew, the actual sentence that they claim, he comes in and takes their sentence and completely flips it backwards. And that's what the confusion is that he's bringing, is he's taking what you have and saying, no, I'm going to flip that around on you, is ultimately what that chapter is saying. Not just, I'm here to confuse them. It was to bring destruction or flip what it was that they were doing. So think about... In foolishness, making a statement, and then Yahweh flips it on you. Right, yeah. <laughs> so that is the significant statement of the beginning of this chapter, is that what that's actually teaching you is whatever you avoid is what becomes. Whatever you are trying to not do ends up happening, or whatever you try to do, the opposite happens in and of yourself. Okay. Um, And then it's interesting because it says, so Adonai scattered them from there all over the face of the entire land because he essentially said, so I'm going to go back to what I told you to do in the first place. So again, we see his redemptive goodness. It wasn't like, well, they messed up, so I'm just going to scatter them to make make them confused. It was to reestablish, I asked them to multiply and fill the earth. What was your question? When you said whatever you avoid is what comes, that's what you're seeing with the flip of those mm-hmm. of those words. Yeah. Is that man? Yeah. It's like a self-fulfilled prophecy. Is that like Job? Whatever he feared, that's what came upon him? Is that mm-hmm. the same idea? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we, I mean, we talk about that a lot. It seems sure. to manifest all sure. the time. Whatever it is that, you know, it ends, it ends up happening. This is, this is ultimately what this chapter is bringing about in the Hebrew. Um, so okay so what happened to me this morning was I got up at 6 o'clock and I started to dissect the um, the prophet and the, the, the half Torah and the apostles reading which is in Corinthians and I want to remind us that the Tower of Babel, so a lot of people think that in Genesis that um, there was just one fall of man, and then he had to restore that with Yeshua, and he did, but there's actually 11 falls. We've be, we're beginning to see this with the flood, now we see the Tower of Babel. There are 11 times something happens, and every single time it does get restored. This is one of the times, and we do know about this, we've taught on it a little bit, but with the Tower of Babel, the flip of the Tower of Babel was when? You guys remember? When they spoke in many tongues. Acts 2. So Shavuot would be the restoration of what happens at Tower of Babel. So because we see the languages, the scattering, and in Acts 2, what ultimately happened was there was languages that were spoken in different cultures that uh, the diasporas, what they call it, those that came out from the nations were able to be able to understand. Does that make sense? So you see a lot of redemption in the renewed covenant when you understand Torah versus just a good story. Because Acts 2 is basically him establishing and reversing what had to happen with Tower of Babel. Um, So, uh, go ahead. Does that mean that, like, 
at Tower of Babel? Because, like, we, like, you can, like, learn two languages kind of a thing. Does that mean at that time they, like, didn't have that capability? And then when that Acts 2 happened, they, like, got that back? Or was that just, like... So prior to Tower of Babel, there was only one language. Then he ultimately separated the nations by creating the different languages. Because of the different languages, there's confusion. So in Acts 2, it was a testimony to those that traveled to be able to hear the gospel in their language. Because they couldn't understand what was going on when they came. So between the tower, like the end of the Tower of Babel and Acts 2, could people learn multiple languages, do you think? Essentially, yeah. Yeah, because there was multiple tongues. Now, there is another way to read that, that it wasn't, I mean, it was, it was literal, but just so you guys know, in the Hebrew, it actually means they had one lip. And so it can mean that they had one, like, um, like, don't give me lip. They all had one lip against Yahweh. They were united as one against the one. And so actually it wasn't confusion or a scattering he was doing, but he wants unity based on worship of him, not what a community can do in and of themselves. So this whole chapter has to do with independence again from Yahweh. It's not that it's not good to have a culture or a community, but if you build a culture on just the culture alone, then you've become independent on what Yahweh has to offer. You've got one lip or one, one voice or one community that's against Yahweh is another way to, to read that. That goes back to that foolishness. Like if you read it in the Hebrew, they weren't saying, come, let us make bricks and burn them. They were, in Hebrew, they were saying like, brick, brick, burn, burn. Like their language was like dumbed down. It's like going back to the, they were operating in foolishness. They couldn't even talk in like a, a complex language. <laughs> I'm scared. Um. So, okay. So, if you decide to dive in to the half Torah and the um the apostles' reading, you are led to Corinthians, where Paul begins to explain to the church about tongues. So, I want you to come to the table that you don't know. Because when he's talking about the Hebrew brick, brick, there's a lot of poetry that's happening in Isaiah about a, a dumbed down language that's repetitive that Isaiah is actually rebuking and mocking for... Isaiah is basically rebuking and mocking a culture in our half Torah that has to do with language. Then when you move into Paul, Paul begins to dissect what he thinks about a tongue. Um, and so ultimately what was, what, was hap- what was happening to me was I began to read Paul in a completely different way. And all I... All, uh, w- I'm trying to think of how to say how it was because I'm not necessarily prepared with the actual apostles reading to like break it down. So I could, if we wanted to sit down and teach on everything that Paul was saying, but I just want to throw out there that if we come to the table, not knowing 
there is a couple of things that Paul says that has been presented a certain way that when you read it with the Tower of Babel and you read it with what Isaiah was saying, you may view what we've known about gifts or spiritual gifts or the gift of tongues in a different way. So, Which should not be shocking because no. Paul's the most misunderstood and we've talked about that. Yeah, ultimately what was happening to me this morning is I've had to dissect Paul and understand his teachings on women and I've been wrecked to my core and now I am on spiritual gifts. So there's been there's a couple of there's a couple of things um, that I can kind of just just preface um, because in the in the Hebrew in Isaiah it uh, this this the prophet says line upon line precept upon precept it's completely taken out of context because and we use that a lot because first of all the word line isn't an actual line like a text line it's a measuring stick. But the Hebrew words, I can't say it, but it's like laz, laz, kalab, laz, vaz, laz. Like the whole sentence is like a repetitive. So what Isaiah was doing was basically not saying precept upon precept, line upon line. But he was talking about utterance upon utterance, utterance upon utterance. And he was talking about a culture. So then when you pair that, what Paul was doing, Paul begins to correct the church about what was going on with spiritual gifts. So with that context, you just kind of have to read what Paul's saying with kind of a new, clean slate. A couple things I'll throw out there. Um, in the Greek and in the Hebrew, there's no capitalization. So the only thing you have to read, I'm saying be careful in the English because you'll read the spirit as God if it's capitalized. But the only way to know if it should be capitalized based on your translation is the context around if it's your spirit or Yahweh's spirit. So you have to be careful because every time it says the spirit of God, just because it's capitalized, you have to look at the Greek and the context to be able to understand if it's supposed to be the spirit of God. Does that make sense? So there's a lot of times where there's a capital S and then in other translations, it's a lower S. And so you have to read the context to know which spirit it's coming from is one thing to know. The other thing is, is the context of the entire chapter that Paul's talking about, which I don't know why I didn't necessarily see this, is that the gifts are for the good of everyone. So you have to read that one line that says you're supposed to do this to edify yourself. And then have the Tower of Babel as your foundation. Because ultimately Paul was... Well, I'm saying ultimately because this is what is this is how I'm reading it. But ultimately, Paul does do a lot of this in his letters where he states what the church is doing. He's not he's not approving a sentence. He's just stating what they're doing. And then he teaches on how to reverse what they're doing. So when he says in this scripture, you are to speak in tongues to edify yourself, but you should prophesy or however he says it. It, basically, the first sentence says, if you speak in tongues, you're speaking to God, not man. He's repeating what they were doing. And then he goes through and he teaches. Um, so he's basically saying it in a way that if, that if you do this to edify yourself, he's actually trying to correct that, that basically you should. The purpose for the gifts is not to be edified. Personally, it's for everyone. So now you'll begin to read why it continually says, so you should pursue this or you should, you should pursue that. So 
again, just come to the table. I don't know. And begin to kind of put those pieces together because I think that there's some depth to the Tower of Babel that we've maybe not understood. Go ahead. So if we're speaking in tongues and no one else knows what we're saying, what does that mean? Well, ultimately... Edifying those who don't know what they're saying, right? Right. Which, right. So, so the way that a lot, that that chapter's been interpreted is that it's just for you, and if it's for someone else, there should be an interpreter. The, the commentary that I was reading was talking about how dangerous that is because it puts you in a position to be, I have a special thing between me and Yahweh that edifies myself against what you know. So we're starting to see the destruction of but Yahweh told me and it's not based on instructions but it's based on this mm-hmm. heavenly thing that I'm given that edifies myself so I have this enlightenment which was starting to happen when Paul began to talk to the current church. There was a lot of enlightenment stuff going on And so he was coming to basically talk to that because it wasn't edifying that anybody couldn't understand. So then we've said, okay, well, then it just needs to be interpreted. But if you look at Acts 2 as our example, it didn't need to be interpreted because Yahweh is after understanding. So then people have said, oh, but but it's just my own personal. And of course, there's no... If somebody has a pure heart and does have a personal language, like I'm I'm not judging that, but scripturally I'm finding some foundational things that may be skewed in that. Um, because if the purpose is to edify myself, then I have to go back to why am I wanting myself edified. It doesn't mean that he doesn't, um, that he doesn't but, but what is that that's actually causing confusion in the body when he's after not confusing but just flipping what humans are doing, if that makes sense. Again, not in, this is 6 o'clock this morning, <laughs> fresh, hot, but I was like shaking in my bed. But because here's the thing, I'm ready. I'm ready to be taught whatever yeah. it may be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, ready, I'm ready to be taught. I, 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 I will say personally, um, my, my per, this, is just, this is just totally personally, uh, personal. I got saved and I prayed for a year because that was what, was told that you are baptized if you have tongues. So that meant I didn't have the Holy Spirit for a year if I didn't have tongues. So I prayed, 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 prayed. And then there was a teaching that said, you just have to open your mouth and just do it. And I remember the feeling was to have courage to be able to just open up my mouth. That was just my personal testimony. I don't know why, but about maybe eight years ago, which does kind of clock in at the time of waking up, I personally have, I, I mean, this is just personal, but I personally have not used it. I have not felt, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I just, it's just not something that's been a part of my life. And so for me, but that doesn't mean I, I that doesn't mean that I shouldn't be reconciling that. That's what I mean by I'm ready. I'm ready for that instruction because for whatever reason, for the last however many years, it's just not been at the forefront. And I'm ready to say, I'm, I, like, I'm ready to look at it. And I didn't know I was ready this morning. But then the Tower of Babel came. And just being ready to understand some things that Paul was saying and how we function even as a family um, in general. And how much I look back at how much hurt 
has been caused with that gift in and of itself. Um, and so I'm, I'm just, I'm ready because I haven't personally haven't used it, but it hasn't been because I've had a conviction or I didn't, I just haven't, but now I'm ready to, to look at it. And so, um, anyways, but I didn't know that that was coming through with the tower of Babel. So anyways, just so you guys know, like my personal, you know, but having to reconcile that of when I did use it or when I had it and what, what did that mean? And, and what, and what did that do? And, um, Anyways, so that'll be a one whole big long process. Another thing that's interesting about that, when you think of the Tower of Babel arcing with Acts 2, they were building a tower, right? And it's about language being confused. Well, when he restores that in an upper room, when you look at the word upper room, it's like the most abundant part of a dwelling place, right? In Babel, he contradicts foolishness with family. He goes into genealogy and lineage. And then when he restores it, they're in an upper room, but it's the most abundant part of a dwelling place. So just thinking about that contradiction as well, that the way man would do things in the way he does things, you know, family and dwelling is where he restores language and restores his name to his people, not people making a name for themselves. I just wanted to I just wanted to connect I just wanted to connect all those things or at least start the process and to remember that we are focusing on the Torah portions, but there are prop there are the, the prophecies and then there are the um, renewed covenant scriptures. And I was more drawn to the fact that it kept getting brought up how this arced with Acts 2. Because obviously we haven't been releasing on it, but he does have a word about the early church and what did family do and how did they operate. Well, one of the first examples where we talk about tongues in, in the first place is, <coughs> is lit- they were just speaking another language. So it being a sign to those that came to travel, it wasn't, it wasn't any tongue. It was their, their different tongues. And if you think about the 12 disciples that were operating in that, that was 12 different languages. Because it definitely wasn't Hebrew. And because they were already all there, they would have already all understood it was all the people who traveled. So then you've got like the 12 tribes, you've got the 12 nations, the you know, things that are coming together in some of those things. And so if that's the untwisting or the redemption of the Tower of Babel, then there's something there as an example that then we have to reconcile. Why would that be our example? And then Paul come in and be like, let me teach something completely the opposite, mm-hmm. which is usually what we've been talking about with the greatest lie ever told was that Paul was so misunderstood. Well, all I'm saying is I'm hungry to understand. And this is the first time I've ever read gifts in like, obviously like a, Am I ready for this? But at the same time, like super excited because it's been one of those things that has just been unknown. And so it's kind of a cool thing to be able to, to tap in together as a, fam- as a family together um, to learn about Paul and what it was that he was saying. So anyways. Yeah. So we, did, we didn't plan on releasing on, on uh, Torah portions, but we felt like we had some time before we were done. And usually I do it on Voxer when we don't do it corporately. So we thought, well, we can just do that as our seal because we are, you know, in the end of, we are officially now in the end of the Noach series. So that just finalized all of the Noach series. And then we'll be moving into the next, I think it's four or five weeks. And Katie, you are up to read on Friday. What do you want to do?
and we're done. We can just I just kind of like threw out like, so have fun with that. <laughs> yeah, it'll hit later. But sure. okay, let me let me tie let me connect some dots. I hate it when I can't connect dots. Yesterday's family meeting. A lot of what was talked about was things are getting twisted. Yeah. Or the spirit is words, language, yeah. and speaking, and how literally flips of saying one thing yeah. and it completely flips. Yeah. So just be, again, the Torah portions are reading us. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like every single week that we go through it, just be aware of how much this is alive in our lives, which is why we want to dive into it and really dissect it for ourselves. Because if he's after language and he's teaching us something about what's confusing and what's not, then we've got to tap into the depths of what it is that he's releasing, not just, oh, the Tower of Babel, or you know what I mean, yeah. a story I've known, yeah. but to really understand, okay, you're talking about different languages here. We're talking about nations. We have this whole thing we've learned in the church era as far as like the gifts. There's acts, there's tongues. I mean, it says they were of yeah. one tongue. Yeah. Like there's some stuff that's yeah. here and it's a good thing to just say, okay, yeah. we're ready to put this all on the table and let's just start right. yeah. looking at it yeah. because what, what fruit is going to come of that to be able to just say like, I'm, I'm ready to look at all this yeah. stuff. There's so many things that we haven't understood because we jumped right into the renewed covenant out yeah. not understanding what Paul knew mm-hmm. yeah. about the Torah because yeah. we looked at Paul as a Christian. So we have this filter that Paul taught us from a pastor's perspective or from a teaching that we've known from Christianity, not recognizing that Paul was Torah observant and knew all of this. He knew that's why he, he, he says in Corinthians, he talks about what Isaiah was saying. Well, when you read Isaiah, Isaiah was coming down on a people that were operating in some things. So when Paul is correcting language and gifts and what we're using it for, that's yeah. it. It's it's. I mean, it. I mean, it's not awesome, but it, I mean, it is awesome. It just. It's exciting to say, okay, I'm ready to look at some of this stuff. Yeah. Put some things in order. So. Yeah. So I just want to throw that out there. It's back on the table. If anybody's been told that the only way that you are filled with the Spirit is if you speak in tongues. Yeah. I'm not, I don't have an answer for that. I'm not saying yay or nay. But if you've ever been told, if you're not speaking in tongues 30 minutes a day, or you don't have that gift, then you must not know the Holy Spirit. We're, we're putting it back on the table. That's, I mean, that's where we're at. I'm not saying that I, you know, but I just, we're just going to, we're going to put spiritual gifts on the table. We're going to put, we're going to put, right? We're just putting all that back on there to start looking at some things, so. That's why I was saying it's going to hit later because you're pulling you're pulling a string that's going to unravel. Yeah. But that's what always said you would do, yeah. which yeah. is what I want to make sure just to to voice after you guys release that is at the beginning of the night season. What Yahweh said is everything that's been familiar, right? I'm going to essentially unfamiliarize you so that you can become familiar with me. Mm-hmm. So even things like communion or things that we've always done or known that have been familiar or just this is just what you do and this is what it means when you operate into or whatever it is that that there's such a familiarity there but it's possible that none of it has been associated with being familiar with him so just that that was a word that came in preparation for the night season which is essentially the same thing as saying continue to allow everything to be put on the table. Everything you've been 
familiar with and carried your whole life, that the closer we get to him, more familiar, the more familiar we become, literally family, connected, intimacy with him, then, you know, those things that have been traditional or no, whatever, um, all of a sudden we'll, be, we'll unfamiliarize ourselves with them. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of a, interesting. Like, the title of the Torah portion is Babel, mm-hmm. you know, and what is he, yeah. you know, what is he getting at in that? So. Yeah. Anyways. Thank you for listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at kingdomairsflag.org. Thank you.